At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for 99% of people who get healthcare in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo. We have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. Today, we're all about healthcare innovation, which is a very long, very broad, very difficult to nail down topic. So here with us today is Dr. Roxy Mooney, healthcare commercialization strategist and fractional CMO at Legacy DNA. Dr. Roxy, thanks for joining us on Healthcare Americana. It's a pleasure to speak with you. I am glad to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. And you're a veteran podcaster yourself too. So we were just laughing about people get nervous coming on to shows if, if they haven't done this so much. And it's usually the host that is going to end up screwing up their own show. So uh, I, I appreciate the chuckles that we got on that <laughs> one. So turning to the topic of healthcare innovation in the United States, where do we start? How do you even define something like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, innovation is such a hot, overused buzzword today, and it does really mean something different to different people. So it's it's great to kind of just start off the conversation with this. For me, innovation is about whether it's incremental or whether it's something uh, very revolutionary. It's about creating new value for customers within an ecosystem that can be done in a number of different ways. But I think it's really all about creating new value. I like the definition. You know, value is one of those words that we hear sometimes in healthcare, but it's more, more assigned to how networks and hospitals get paid, you know, value-based care. Yeah. So when you say value, dive a little bit more into that, just so I want to make sure that listeners are on the same page as, as we are, as we continue this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I think of value, there's so many new products and solutions out there that are me too. And so when I'm talking about innovations that bring new value, it's offering something to a marketplace that they can't currently experience or don't currently have. So it could be, you know, you've got incremental innovation. So you've got things that are just slight improvements to an existing solution. And then you've got other things that are very revolutionary and radical. Think about when the iPod, you know, first came out. Both of those have its own value. A lot of times we think about innovation, we think, oh, it's only the iPod, right? Or it's only the iPhone when it came out. It's only these radical, sometimes disruptive innovations. And you can actually have pretty successful businesses around incremental innovation just as much as you can something that's radical. That's interesting because I was just visualize that. And, and so, you know, taking big leaps and bounds, right? Going from early man flight to being on the moon in, in you know, seven decades is just massive technological leaps. 
But many times, a lot of what we see in the world is just little degrees of improvement, ticking, tick, 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 all the way, all the way up. Yeah. Now, applying innovation to healthcare, I think there's a lot of people out there, and I'm one of them. They're looking <laughs> at healthcare, and you know, we've been doing this for a while. And and with Freedom Health Works, we eat, live, and breathe what we think is an innovative direct care model, and, and help physicians get into that world. But a lot of what we see. It seems like it is stuck in the late 90s. I mean, they still use fax machines, for goodness sakes. When I think of innovation, I don't think of healthcare by any means. Yeah. Tell me why that's nuts. Well, I mean, I think if we were putting all of the industries and verticals kind of stacked side by side, healthcare would certainly be in the laggard category. I think that we've made a lot of excuses of why we can't innovate because we're just really entrenched in old models and broken systems. And there's so many different moving parts to the healthcare ecosystem that other industries don't face. So it makes it a lot more complex to become innovative. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, in healthcare, you could have a successful billion dollar company and not be innovative, maybe not even delivering what we would consider value. <laughs> but the way the ecosystem is created, you could just be wildly successful if you have a CPT codes that you can match to your service model and get reimbursement for it and be part of different physician networks or pharmacy networks. You could have, like I said, a very successful, profitable business, even though you might not be delivering any value. You can yeah. still be running paper charts and seeing patients <laughs> that way too, right? <laughs> so it, it's not necessarily the cutting edge technology that drives the innovation with it too, because like you said, you can be very successful without it. So, And I don't think we, as human beings, I think most of us don't like change and we've just been entrenched in this model for so many decades. It, it seems, you know, we've had tens of thousands of people that have tried to change the ecosystem and the structure that we have to deal with. And it's just been very difficult. And so I think a lot of times people give up and quit <laughs> and say, I can't change it. It's going to always be this way. And we've talked about this, I think, quite a bit in different conversations, but the pandemic has certainly helped accelerate innovation in healthcare. That's part of the silver lining is it's demonstrated numerous examples that we could actually do hard things and we mm -hmm. could do the things that we didn't know we could, you know, when we were put to the test. So I'm very optimistic that we will see a lot more innovation in healthcare tomorrow and in the next few years to come. It just seems from our experience that there's just a lot of barriers and I want to, I want to get there eventually, but, you know, want to dig a little bit into why you and I are having this conversation, you know, for past 11 years or so, you've been working, you know, with your company at Legacy DNA on helping what you've termed healthcare innovators unlock that business path into a viable product, a viable service. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us what you, what you saw 11 years ago when you started this and then bring us all the way up to the future and, and what kind of ideas that you're working with. Yeah. So it's interesting. So it kind of comes full circle. About 15 years ago, I first started working in healthcare. And at first, if you asked me if I ever wanted to work in healthcare, I would have said absolutely not, um, because it's just really entrenched with very conservative, very traditional, all the things that you really don't want 
the attributes that you're not looking for when you're a marketer, right? You're thinking purple cow, sign upside down, kind of like, let's just be disruptive. Let's change. Let's be unique and different. But I got involved as a chief marketing officer with a health innovator with five healthcare brands. So I got immersed in healthcare really deep, really quick. And this was before the Affordable Care Act. And we were doing some really revolutionary stuff with pay for performance business models. And that got really exciting for me. And I started to see that we were on this precipice of this explosion of innovation. And wow, the industry, it, and it's kind of funny thinking back, and I'm sure so many of us have had the same experience. You think back and you go, man, healthcare is going to change. Like there's so much innovation happening, and, you know, and it kind of feels like it's going to happen overnight in the next 12 months. And that was 15 years ago. And so healthcare as an industry became really appealing to me. And as I've been coaching clients, you know, I wanted to put some more credentials behind it. I went back to school and got my doctorate in business. And they ask you, you know, what is the business problem that you want to be married to for the next like five to seven years of your life? And for me, going back to that early innovation experience in healthcare, I kind of stumbled upon this statistic that 95% of innovations that are brought to market fail, fail to reach any adequate level of customer adoption or financial ROI. And quite frankly, Chris, like, like that really stopped me in my tracks because I thought, how are we going to really fix the healthcare industry if majority of the innovations that are brought to market aren't going to get into the hands of the people that need them the most? What the heck is going on here? So, you know, I think at that point, I decided I was going to make it my mission in my career to figure out what were those, why were so many people failing and what are the strategies and tactics that we need to deploy in order to change, to be part of, part of that 5% that succeeds or, you know, God forbid, actually start to move that failure rate and then go to 90% failure rate instead of 95 and start to move the needle. Um, so, you know, that's kind of been the journey that I've been on for the last decade or so. It's really exciting to kind of uncover some of the frameworks. And I don't know if I would call them secrets, that sometimes it seems like secrets. I, I tell everybody about it. <laughs> so I don't want it to be a secret, um, but all of these different frameworks and approaches to be able to navigate the complexities of the healthcare ecosystem and create that path to profit. You mentioned 95%. How does that, have you ever researched how that compares to other industries, non-healthcare industries? So I haven't seen any failure rate that's specifically tied to healthcare, which is really interesting because you would think that that would be the failure rate for healthcare and other industries would actually do it better. It's probably worse in healthcare because this statistic that I came across in many different papers is not necessarily healthcare. So they don't have the complexities of reimbursement and compliance and regulatory, all the right. legislation that we have to deal with. A lot of entrenched parties yeah. making a lot of money out there and yeah. ways that are not exactly transparent. Tough to go up against them. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people speaking, you know, listening, they'll probably be speaking from experience. I know I am yeah. uh, trying to get different business models, you know, into just primary care and, and kind of spill over specialty cares as well. That's a really good point too, you know, talking about business model innovation. So a lot of times when we think about innovation, we just think about it as products. Or technology, but, yeah. Right, technology. But there's innovation in services. There's innovation in business models. 
Dollar Shave Club is to me like the prime example that comes to mind, right? You know, have a razor company and what they did differently was a different business model and, you know, stealing market share from long-standing entrenched dominating incumbents like Schlick and Gillette. So, you know, it's a great example of how just a business model innovation can actually create a very successful company. I, I tell everybody who, who um, has ever asked me about, you know, what's it like to start a company? I tell them, look, if the big boys were doing everything perfectly, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. <laughs> so there's always room, right? There's always, there's always uh, uh, innovation happening or there's room for improvement. Just people yeah. need to be pissed off enough and motivated to go out and do it. And, um, you know, to, we, to, we talked about barriers to healthcare innovation in particular. And, yeah. and we see this a lot. Healthcare in general is also a barrier to other industries innovating. And just as an aside here, we work with a lot of just kind of incubators and, and co-working spaces around town here. And the number one barrier to entrepreneurs going out and inventing the newest and latest, greatest, whatever you want to call it in whatever industry is healthcare. And their fear of stepping outside of their kind of corporate gig and losing what they consider kind of their air quotes, their their healthcare, which is really their insurance plan that doesn't get them yeah. much anyways. And, and, you know, people see through that. So I go there just to kind of say, look, your lack of innovation within healthcare also has massive repercussions in other industries that might be contributing to that 95% failure rate that you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a phenomenal example of how it really it's encroaching on everything, everything that we are and everything that we do, whether you're in healthcare or not. It's a fifth of our economy too. Yeah. And yep. it's like, where does that money go? So anyways, back to- uh, That's back another to, episode, Chris. <laughs> oh man, here we go. Yeah, you got me fired up now. Um, <laughs> people always love it when that happens. Um, so, so roadblocks within healthcare. And, and I mentioned that because we see that a lot with physicians who are trying to put in innovative business models, not necessarily going to direct care, but trying to do something. And all of a sudden, here comes a hospital and says, boom, oh no, sorry, you got a 20 mile non-compete for a couple of years. Good luck sitting at home and not being a doctor, not trying to help anybody out. It, 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 I mean, it's just that kind of stuff is, you know, one example. And what I'm sure, you know, you see, and I'd love to hear more on it, that if you have a physician or you have somebody who says, wow, I have a new laser idea. How do I, how do I get this up and go into market? You know, are you, are you seeing things like that that says like, wow, these are really good. These need to see the light of day. Let's push this forward. Where are you seeing a lot of traction? So I think there are a lot of physician innovators out there. They're at the epicenter of healthcare. And so they've been working and identifying problems in healthcare for so long and, and have innovative and unique ways to be able to solve those problems. So to me, it makes sense that you've got more of them um, becoming innovators. The challenge that I think physician innovators have most is like technologists or engineers don't have the business acumen or the commercialization acumen to go alongside of that innovative idea. So finding someone that can help them with that, I think is just mission critical. 
you talk to physicians and they went to medical school and mm-hmm. they didn't take a lot of business classes. So a lot of those things about being an entrepreneur and where do you get started and how do you test business ideas? How do you fail fast with the bad ideas um, so you can get to the good idea? A lot of those things are just not taught in medical school. So you you actually do see a lot more physicians getting an MBA to pair with that medical uh, degree. So whether you actually go to school and get the MBA or you partner with some folks that have that business expertise or commercialization expertise, I think is really, really important. So that way you not only have someone who is the inventor, the dreamer, the visionary with the idea of how to solve the problem, but you've got the other people that make up the team to help them get it to market and get it into the hands of the people that need it. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. And, and, and what kind of comes up in my mind is, do you ever find it that physicians just to pick on them because because I love to I love to pick on them for all kinds of various reasons. I love them and I like to pick on them at the same time that they have trouble asking questions because in my mind and in my experience they usually are used to having the answers. Whether you're in an exam room with somebody who's sick and say doc what does this mean? You can't run out and say hey let me call my advisors, you know. You got to have an answer for that person right now. You got to make that judgment call. And so enough times that happens. And so when you step out and step into some business related aspects, you might be in uncomfortable territory where you not, might not know a lot, but a lot of the personalities are driven to say, look, I need to be in control here. I need to have all the answers. There's a good chance you're the smartest person in the room, you know, with your medical degree. You ever had experience working with some cantankerous people? They're saying like, look, you're getting in your own way here. You're kind of your own worst enemy. Just you focus on what you do well, well, I'll focus on what I do well, and then we'll form this yeah. perfect little union. I think that there's a mixture of the two. So there's definitely those physicians that have really large egos and it becomes their own barrier or obstacle to success. And I've also had folks that uh, physician innovators who are a lot more humble and willing to acknowledge out loud in front of people that they don't know, but then still not knowing where to go to get the answers not knowing where to begin and to make sure that they're not being taken advantage of because mm-hmm. they are so naive and green in some of these aspects. So definitely have seen both. And I can see your point that when you are the ultimate authority in your business for so long, it's kind of hard to transition into a different role without feeling demoted. <laughs> Um, But, you know, asking questions is definitely the key to success. So one of the things that I uncovered in my research is the number one reason why innovators fail is because there's no market need. And I think this is really hard for every entrepreneur inventor to hear, but I think it's especially hard for physicians that have experienced the problem and maybe even have colleagues that have experienced the problem. So I've worked with physician innovators who may be in a hospital system or a medical practice. They see the problem day in and day out. They've got colleagues that have agreed that they too are experiencing this problem and are very frustrated. So there's the assumption that this is representative of the entire market. 
And mm-hmm. so that they have a, a, a very clear commercialization path because they are already, you know, I call it overconfidence bias of what their strategy and their plan is going to be. And so that to me becomes a real barrier. And the way to be able to overcome that is a term that I use a lot in conversations these days is co-creation. So we can identify what our target customer wants and needs and what's being unmet in the marketplace really fast by asking questions in this co-creation process. And the earlier we do that, the better. And the more often we do that, So you kind of start to realize that as a physician innovator, you're really become an expert at asking questions. And the more of an expert you are at asking questions instead of having the answers is really your path to success. I had someone on my show a couple of months ago, an innovator that said, I had this conversation with someone at a conference. This was before COVID. (laughs) um, And I asked him what he thought about it. And I thought he was going to tell me that he loved it. And instead for three hours, he told me everything that was wrong with my idea, but it was the most valuable conversation I've had in the last few years. And so really a lot of times we just innately want to avoid that instead of looking for it. So I think like, as we think about tips or what to do to overcome some of these barriers, is try to find those people, try to find those people that will disagree with us and think that our ideas are bad because they will help us make our ideas better, which is, you know, some of the first steps to getting on that path to profit. Yeah, that, I mean, it's brilliant advice. And, you know, I, I think, you know, step one, even backing up from, from, you know, if I may inject it is just Google it. If you have an idea, just Google it, see if it's <laughs> out there. And then you yeah. go pressure test it, like you were just saying, it's like, yeah. find those people that will call you nuts and say no. Yeah. They're going to motivate you or you're going to be like, yeah, wow. Okay. I really need to go back to the drawing board on this one. Absolutely. You kind of think of it as this is a hypothesis and you need to test that hypothesis and you're not looking for specific answers. You're looking Mm -hmm. for what you don't know. You're looking to learn something new that I think is really, really important. And you don't want to ask your friends (laughs) that aren't going to tell you that your baby's ugly. What's the old investing uh, axiom that uh, if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> it rings <laughs> so true one. up and down, up and down. It. So, yeah, yeah. so we, 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 you know, we, we've kind of been touching on some internal factors that, that impede you know, innovation within healthcare. Some obviously external ones exist that I want to talk about real briefly here you know, before the episode comes to a close here. You know, you mentioned that that you've been seeing a lot of innovation being squeezed out by reimbursement models. Reimbursement models meaning third-party payers sending a check in for maybe the right type of codes and and all that mess that most of us are familiar with. What's your experience like with that? You know, what are you seeing? I guess you know because I think everybody thinks that we were going to talk about well, let's just beat up on insurance companies and, and why they are impeding. Uh, innovation, but they're they're not necessarily the the full ones to blame. But just want to hear your thoughts on that reimbursement yeah. model, how that impedes it. 
Well, you know, I mean, you think about what was happening with telemedicine before COVID because you didn't have the reimbursement model aligning with maybe what the marketplace wanted. And you had all these reasons of why we couldn't go there. And then we had COVID happen. And all of a sudden we've got the reimbursement codes and we're able to see this very increased adoption rate of virtual care. Now, obviously those numbers have gone down quite a bit, but we're still going to see a hybrid model be the most successful path going forward. So I see a a number of different things. I would say one of the number one things I see is organizations figuring out a way to sell to directly to employer groups, self-insured employer groups to kind of be able to circumvent some of that. I certainly have seen people petition and get new CPT codes created is definitely the long path. (laughs) There's already enough of those anyway. Right. (laughs) Um, And then certainly direct to consumer, you know, circumventing a lot of that bureaucracy and red tape that becomes barriers um, and going direct to consumer. Now, is direct to consumer going to be the foolproof path? Not necessarily. It has its own challenges, but you're not dealing with those same challenges that have been entrenched for decades that are kind of political and government related and things that we really just don't have control over. When you go to direct consumer route, you've got a lot more control over your destiny. And I'm seeing a lot of those direct to consumer companies figure it out and have a lot of success. So what you're saying is don't create a product that you now need Washington to pass some new legislation in order for it to be functional, right? Not if you don't have to, (laughs) Um, you know? We've already got really long sales cycles in healthcare, 12, 18 months. I haven't seen those shrink lately. And those are ones for CPT codes and budgets that are already allocated. So um, God bless you if you go that route. <laughs> Prepare to bring your lobbyist uh, and your budget with you. Dr. Roxy, last, uh, last point here. Is there anything kind of peek behind the curtain? Give us a sneak peek of some cool stuff that you're working on or that you're excited about coming down the pike that we should keep an eye for? Yeah, I would say look out for, you know, folks can find out on our website. We've got tons of content that we put out there to educate innovators about the co-creation process. So co-creation is a strategy that's been deployed by other industries for a long time now, and it's just starting to scratch the surface in healthcare. So there's so much information on our website about who's co-creating, what is it, why you should use it, how to get your team on board with this model, um, what are some of the barriers and obstacles to kind of consider lots of real valuable input on co-creation. That's the hottest and most successful strategy and tactic to be part of that 5% that succeeds. Words to live by. Great advice. (laughs) Dr. Roxy Mooney, healthcare commercialization strategist, fractional CMO, legacy DNA. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thank you for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Once again, I'm your host, Christopher Habig. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the social medias, and visit our website at healthcareamericana.com. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. 
Our goal is simple. Match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.